Hastings, okay, beautiful. And, mate, you uh, you love the All Blacks? I love the All Blacks, mate. Sorry <laughs> about the Australian team, but yeah. hey, they yeah. will get us one day. One day, one day. <laughs> uh, mate, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, where were you born and raised? I was born in Hawke's Bay. I, um, I'm always been a, been a Kiwi Kiwi dude, as, as you know, born and bred here. Yeah. But, uh so yeah, I stayed in Hastings most of my life, but I travelled a lot with with the under underground drug syndicates. So I lived in Australia and, and America, and and lived in other parts of New Zealand. Mm. You're, you're a heroin addict and a wanted criminal for more than fifteen years, and you spent a lot of your life running and hiding from the police, uh, usually wrapped up in the in the the, the drug scene. How, how did you get to that point in your life? What what, what happened as a teenager or as a, as a young boy? How did you get to that? Um, when I was a when I was a young man, I kind of I saw a lot of uh, anger and a lot of lot of um, violence and partying in my um, in my house in my family home, and uh, and as I grew up, I kind of thought, you know, I believe in that saying, your eyes are the window of your heart. You know, sometimes what you see is um, when you grow up is actually what you role model. And uh, and I kind of role modelled that. And when I got into the intermediate school to boys high and, and started getting into high school, I started to hang around like-minded people who didn't really much have a family home and all of that. But in the same breath of saying that, I was a very good rugby representative. I used to play a lot of rugby. And uh, I kind of hung out with the wrong crowd, which led me down that wrong path. Now, you ended up spending time in jails around the North Island of New Zealand sometimes maximum security prisons uh, with a lot of notorious criminals, sometimes yep. in psych units and rehabs. What was your time like inside? Um, it was, you know, it, it, to me, my jail, my jail life was more of a family environment than my own family environment on the outside. Um, I found, I'm not saying jail's the place to go, I'm definitely not saying that, but for someone who never really had any, any role models in their life, Jail was a place for me to express my anger, um, hang out with like-minded people, um, got more into other drugs, organised more crime. <laughs> you know, people say this doesn't happen in jail, but it does. You know, um, you know, like what the Bible says. You know, you end up becoming like the people you hang out with. So if you're going to be surrounded by like-minded people. Um, there's a high percentage you will go down that same path what they've going down. And then you found your way to Australia where you were running with the Highway 61 biker gang. There's been a lot of talk about bikers in Australia. Yep. What, was it, what was gang life like? 
Um, it was uh, back in the early uh, late eighties. I was in uh, living in Sydney in uh, eighty from eighty seven to eighty nine, um, and I was uh, running with the Highway sixty ones, like you said, Matt, um, in Sydney. Uh, they were based in Burwood. And I was uh, really, um, you know, hung out with them, did, did a lot of stuff with them at the time. Um, I was only 17 at the time, so I was, you know, doing a lot of drugs under the table sort of thing, cocaine, angel dust, heroin. And I was, you know, working with prostitutes and, you know, they were working for me in King's Cross and strippers. And that was just the way I was, you know, 17, that's the way I was earning my money. Um, you know, they were paying me a percentage, and you know, I was spending it on drugs. So, and then, you know, uh, as as the story gets on with my book, uh, I got stabbed up by a, a well-known biking gang in New Zealand, uh, in Australia, sorry, uh, Comancheros. Um, I got stabbed up in a pub one night with with one of the Comanchero guys here, uh, stabbed me in the chest, and that got just about started a war between the Highway 61s and the Comancheros, but uh, never eventuated because, as you do, you deal with the situation by yourself, and uh, and I did. And were you close to death? Uh, I was very, very close to death because uh, when I went to hospital, it was uh, um, not you know, a few centimetres away from my heart. If, if it got any deeper, it would have punctured my heart. Mm. So, yeah, so I had a few stitches in my chest at the time. And, uh, yeah, and it got kind of, at 17, you kind of bounce back pretty fast. And, you know, and, and with, all the, with all the awesome painkillers at the time, like cocaine and heroin, you kind of just carry on doing what you have to do. I went on the run in New Zealand. I, I was a wanted man for armed robberies for, for about four years in New Zealand. And uh, I did armed robberies all around the place just to feed my addiction, just to feed my, to keep my addiction at bay. And uh, that's the only way I knew how to do it was easy money. So I pointed a gun and pointed knives at people just to, just to, feed, just to get what I wanted. And, uh, and when I, I, I got caught, I, I, originally I got caught for my robbery and then I got, sent to a, a high security um, jail in Auckland. It's called Mount Eden Prison. And I escaped from Mount Eden Prison within three months. And then I went on the run from the police. And that's when I became New Zealand's most wanted criminal. They put me on TV looking for me and all that. But like a Chopper Reed story, if you want to put it, put it in an Australian format. <laughs> and, uh, and, I was, uh, and I was wanted for about three months. I got caught again. I got caught in a place in the east coast of New Zealand in North Island called a place called Gisborne. I got caught there. Um, they flew me back, um, all, all thanks to the taxpayers. They flew me back to uh, Mount Eden Prison, where I originally escaped from. And then they sent me, the judge sent me into a local rehab in Auckland because I was coming off heroin and, and they needed to detox me. So they sent me into uh, sent me into a rehab, which I walked up the gate and escaped from there. And I was under, still was under police uh, care. So as soon as I walked up the gate, the rehab had to ring the cops. So that was my second time I went on the run. And this time they thought, man, when we captivate this guy, captured this guy, he's not getting out. So they caught me a third time, uh, a second time, sorry, in Auckland, in Shakespeare Road, which is one of the main streets in the north north shore of Auckland, and uh, and they blocked off the whole street and busted me and got me there with about $10,000 worth of stolen goods in my house at the time. And uh, and then that was it. And my lawyer was a brain brainy guy. He said to me, Adrian, if you stayed in Auckland, they're going to chuck the book at you. So transfer your case transfer my charge of my robbery back where I'm originally from, Hawke's Bay, the judge might be a lot more lenient on you. 
So that's what happened. And I came back here and I went on, went on to trial. And to cut a long story short, it, it explains it in the book. I went through trial and all that sort of stuff. And I got sentenced to a few years locked up in the clink for my robbery in 1996. It was 1995, sorry, and I got out in 1998. Yeah. You had an encounter with God that changed your life forever. Tell us what happened. Yeah, that was uh, that was amazing. What what happened was um, in that time there was a guy who invited me to Bible study, and uh, he, he said to me, "Mate, you know, um, come to Bible study. Got nothing to lose, really." And uh, I just said, "Man, man, I don't want a Bible basher, mate. I want to get high. I want drugs, mate. That's what I need. I don't need to go to some Bible study." And he just said, "Mate, you came because I was quite well known in New Zealand through being on TV and stuff. So they thought, man, come to Bible study." So I thought, oh, well, I've got nothing to lose, as you do. you know. So you go to Bible study on, on a Thursday night in jail. And um, and one of the, I thought, oh, yeah, I could be able to pick me up a nice woman, you know, a nice church woman, <laughs> as you do. You think, oh, yeah, sure, it's a lovely, get me, get me involved with a lovely Christian lady. But when I walked in, there was a husband and, and, a, husband and a wife there, Christine and Kevin Winters. And they're awesome, awesome people. And, uh, and I still see them today. They discipled me, but they kind of anything I I said to them, they came back and biblically they came back with the Bible verse and and but they just loved me. They they didn't they didn't look at what I was in jail for. They didn't care what about my past. They kind of they just accepted me. And Kevin said to me one day, um, prior to that when I went to detox, the doctor gave me five years to live. He said your body is munted. Um, when I was in detox in Auckland, you your your body looked like a 70-year-old, and I was only 21 at the time. And so when I went to jail a few years later for my robbery, Kevin said to me, he said, Adrian, I believe God told me to tell you, if you don't sort your life out with Jesus, you're going to be carried out of here in a box. And he said, the number five came to me. I don't know what it means, but it might mean more to you than it does to me, but number five came into my head. And I thought, whoa. So... The prison warden came and said, you know, lock-up time now, so I had to go back to Clink, and Bible study was over. But all that night, I was thinking that would be, I did my calculation, I didn't really do very well at mathematics, but I did my calculation, and by the time the doctor in, in Grafton Road Detox Centre in Auckland said about five years, and when Kevin said that to me in jail, it would be by the time my release date was upon, I would have been five years. Wow, so there you I go. I thought to myself, is this a comp- And Kevin didn't know me from Borough Soap. You know, he didn't, he never met me. He saw me on TV and all that, but he never ever saw me. And he didn't know what, what went down with my whole drug syndicate. So when he said that, it kind of, you know, he sent the goosebumps, like little goosebumps all over you. And I thought, man, is this a warning from Jesus to say, mate, if you don't sort your life out, you're going to be carried out of here in a box. And uh, so I kind of started to search then. And I didn't make any commitment to Christ straight away. Um, I'm, I'm the sort of guy who's a bit like it's all or nothing. You know, you either go hard or you don't bother doing it. Don't don't play games. Don't be in the middle. And, uh, and I thought, well, if I'm going to change my life, it's going to be all on or don't don't bother with it. So I had to really think about it because I had a lot of things I needed to do still in the community when I got out of jail. You know, there was gangs, you know, they wanted stuff off me. There was drug stuff going on in the community. There was a lot of stuff I was still involved with. 
so if I accepted Christ in my life, how is that going to look like? But Jesus told me, don't worry about trying to clean all that up. I will look after that. You just just, just focus on me. Just focus on God. So it took me about a month, and then Kevin said, I, I believe it's time for you to really hand your life over to God. And I just, I just... I just crumbled, mate. You know, I just thought, well, okay, here I am. Here, God, in the middle of prison here. I've got a couple more years left of my sentence. I've got nothing to lose. And um, and I accepted Christ right there in the Bible study. Um, and, and from then onwards, God just gave me the desire to give up drugs, to give up my crime. And he did, while I was still in jail, he sorted all of my enemies out in the community. He sorted everything out in the community. I didn't even have to do anything. My old gang, the Highway 61s, um, you know, the president rang me up uh, two weeks ago um, of the highways here in Hawke's Bay and said to me, hey, you know, can you take a tonguey? Tonguey means a funeral. Um, Could you take a funeral for me, man? You know, one of my daughter, my daughter's baby, newborn, died at birth. So they, you know, so I still got that connection now, and wow. they can trust me. They know my lifestyle. They know I came out of it, and I, I felt a privilege on thanking Jesus for, mate. Look at the doors, what's opening here, you know, and uh, and uh, yeah, and I, I kind of, I'm drug free now. I've been drug free for 18 years, and um, and I'm married with a awesome wife, Wendy, and three beautiful daughters. What an incredible story of restoration. And did you ever think yeah. you'd write a book about it? No, I, I never did, Matt. Sorry, yeah, I, I never, never ever thought. I, I, people did say to me to write, write a book. And, uh, and, and, you know, and before I even became a Christian, I had people who, who uh, knew of Chopper Reed and stuff like that and only knew him of, of his profile. And they, they used to always say, mate, you, you're a New Zealand Chopper Reed, man. You're just... <laughs> Man, you, you could write a book, and I thought, well, mate, I can't even spell my name, let alone write a book. So yeah, like ten years later, when I got released, it wasn't straight away. Uh, I, I've been out of prison for about ten or twelve years. Then I started writing a book, and uh, and yeah, and God just put it all together, mate. You know, and and it's been a and it's been a privilege. You know, it's it's like it's going into Australian market now, um, which is which is really really awesome. You know, because I I I've I feel like I, a part of me is still connected to Australia because I did do a lot of stuff over there for a couple of years, and um, and you know, and it was kind of in my teenage years, and it's kind of stuck with me. So you know, it's it's it, I would you know never know what God will do. You know, I would love to come back to Australia and, and uh, do some crusades over there and speak in some good churches over in Australia. And Australia, they reckon what what they reckon New Zealand, Australia, brother and sister. <laughs> A love and hate relationship. <laughs> we love New Zealand, mate. We do. Uh, well, Adrian, mate, I reckon you're a history maker, and uh, if people want to find out more about your book, The Second Chance, yep, uh, sure. they can go to the website, www.itt.org.nz, and they can uh, also read Adrian's testimony there, and there's some clips and links and information about the book. Mate, thanks so much for joining us today. God bless. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. 
History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station Sponsor.